0: Are you guys ready for a history lesson? So am I. I wanna think about our, our nation. You know, when you get together with people, they say there's two things our culture says don't talk about. Two things are? Religion and politics. So let's trample over all that. Let's do both. All right, so first, in this country, we're going on maybe, I don't know, let me do the math, almost 250 years. It'll be there in a blink of an eye. It'll be quick. It'll be 250 years that we get to celebrate being in this democratic nation where we get to come together as a people. But I want you to take yourself back in time a little bit. Before living in such a democratic area, of a time that there would be a king who would rule over, what would you desire of your king? What would you want from your king? How would you want him to rule and reign? Because if you go through history and you look at kings, there have been a lot of evil kings. And there were some good kings, but what would you personally be looking for? Most of us are the here and now things, things that they could do for me now. How are you going to change things for me now? Almost the same way that when we go to vote at the election, the person we're voting for are the people that we're thinking, who's going to make the change that I desire now? So... Many of us go, and maybe it is a red and blue situation that we go to the polls with, but underlying all that usually is a personal pursuit. It's, I want to pursue happiness. I want to be content. I want to be at peace. And those are the things we go and pursue. And yet, in our country, every four years come up, there's an election, and guess what? Right now, we have half of the country that is very upset, and half that is somewhat content. And there's division. So is there or will there ever be the perfect candidate who's going to run for office in this country? No. As a matter of fact, we often hear people say, I'm going to pick the lesser of the two evils. And they go and, or they stand on some very serious convictions about things they believe are biblical and whatever candidate supports those things, they're going to vote for them. They're going to vote their, their biblical worldview. But what if there was one who can rule justly? What if there was one that could bring eternal peace, not just peace in the here and now? And you know what? You know the answer. We're in church. we all all talking religion as well, not just politics, but religion. You know there is that one. And yet for the Christian, for the Christian, they can experience a peace that surpasses all understanding through Jesus Christ for the Christian. For the world, not so. There's division and chaos, and we can look outside the walls and we see what is going on in the world. But do you realize that today, right now, there is a king who is sovereignly reigning over all things? A king who is a king of kings and a lord of lords? That's Jesus, the ruler, the sovereign one. This morning, we're going to look at a message called King Jesus. The one who is in control. If you have your Bibles open, we are continuing the Gospel of John this morning. We'll be in John chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 9 this morning. Let's go ahead and read through those this morning together. We read in verse 12. The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, "'Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord!' "'Even the king of Israel. "'And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, "'just as it is written, "'Fear not, daughter of Zion. "'Behold, your king is coming, "'sitting on a donkey's colt. "'His disciples did not understand these things at first. "'But when Jesus was glorified, "'then they remembered that these things "'had been written about him and had been done to him. "'The crowd that had been with him "'when he called Lazarus out of the tomb "'and raised him from the dead, "'continued to bear witness.'" The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The world has gone after him. Before we dive in, let's pray together. Father, as we've read this text together, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us. Father, that you would draw us into exactly what you want us to learn this morning about King Jesus. Father, we also pray for the the little man that we hear crying back in the kids' room. God, would you calm him? Would you comfort him? Would you help those in the room to to minister to him? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A short text this morning, but we're going to unfold a whole lot in this text about King Jesus. King Jesus, besides this event here, Jesus had done all sorts of signs and miracles. Up to this point in the gospel, he's healed the sick. He's given sight to the blind. He's caused the lame to walk. And now coming into this point, he has just called Lazarus to come forth out of the tomb. Lazarus, who has been dead for four days, he calls back to life. And the only person that could do that is God. Jesus has declared himself to be God. Jesus goes and does things that only God can do. And if we look at this passage, and it appears, just by a skim, skimming over, that Jesus is finally getting the recognition that he's due. That he is the coming king. That people are coming out to celebrate. Do you remember prior to this, how everybody responded? Many would want to kill him. There were some who would believe But the religious leaders wanted to put him to death. They wanted him dead. So it appears in our text this morning that now he's getting the recognition. Now they're honoring him as king. But sadly, as we will see, this is not necessarily the case this morning. However, it's one of the most significant things in his ministry. It's recorded in all four Gospels. If you're taking notes, it's in Matthew chapter 21, Mark chapter 11, and Luke chapter 19. The timing of this is very important, because if you think up to this point, as we've studied through the Gospel of John, the people have wanted before to make him king, and Jesus would slip away. So why now? Why would Jesus now come and present himself to the people as king? Well, you've got to know the timing. This is Passover week. We would call this Palm Sunday. It's a tradition that many churches hold. By the way, we're still in this text next Sunday, so don't lose it and go, why is it now and not next Sunday? They will hold on to some traditions. But now Jesus is going to bring himself out as the king. And the people are going to come and adore him. What are they looking for, church? Why are they so excited that Jesus has come, that he's the king? They're looking for deliverance. Not spiritual deliverance. They're looking for physical deliverance. So the timing of this Passover week, and it'll be that Passover that Jesus presents himself as the Lamb of God. So let's look at the text together. Starting in verse 12, we read, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. We learn if you skip down in your Bibles to verse 18, we learn that the large crowd are those who have heard that he raised Lazarus from the dead. They heard about this amazing sign that he had done. And now they're coming out to him to come greet the Messiah. They're coming out to adore him as this coming king. We see what they do in verse 13. It says, They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. My question to you is, what's up with the palm branches? Was it Southern California? Palm trees were abundant. Where where they're at, they still are today. But why would they take up palm branches? And this gives us a little insight to what they were thinking. Palm branches were symbolic of the crowd's political aspirations. They had political connection. Waving palm branches represented a nationalistic spirit. So when they go out and they're waving the palm branches, they're greeting and welcoming this king coming in because they're concerned about us as Israel. We're finally going to be free. We finally have a king who's going to deliver us. Guess what? Jesus came for another reason. And as that unfolds this week, and Jesus continues to say it throughout this week, that, oh, by the way, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. They couldn't understand that. They couldn't comprehend because in their mind, this is the Messiah, the coming one, who will deliver them from the Roman Empire, from all the oppression they're under. And they come out to him, and they're shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna. It's a word that's transliterated from the Hebrew. It means save now. Save now. We see it used in Psalm 118. In Psalm 118, starting in verse 25, we see it translated, save us. That's Hosanna. Hosanna, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Look what verse 26 says. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. This song is called one of the psalms that they sang as the Hillel. The Jews would go on the way to the feast and they would sing these psalms every morning. So they are ready for this. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're going out. Again, look at verse 13. Look what John records them saying. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We read that in their hello. Psalm 118, exactly the same thing. But look what they added. Even the king of Israel. They have now said he is the king. Jesus is coming as we'll see how he's going to mount this young donkey shortly. But he's coming out. They're worshiping him. Even the king of Israel. Luke says this about the crowd. Luke chapter 19, verse 38. He says, they also said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Interesting. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Again, you have to get in the mindset of the Jews because otherwise, as we continue from this point forward in John, we cannot understand how these people go from Hosanna, save now, to just a few days later going, crucify him, crucify him. How does that happen? What change in that short time span? Because if you get inside their mindset, he was supposed to deliver them in their minds from the oppression of Rome. And in just a few short days, he's going to be arrested. And he's going to be tried. And the people are going to turn and go, well, this must not be... The king, this must not be the Messiah. He didn't do what we expected of him. And so it changes to crucify him, crucify him. Jesus came to bring peace, not war. Jesus came to bring peace, not war. He rode into Jerusalem in a very specific way. Look with me in verses 14 and 15. It says, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. Just as it is written... Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Okay, let's, let's go step by step. It says, first, he found a young donkey. If, if you've read the other Gospels, you know how he found that. He sent two disciples to the nearest village and said, when you get there, there'll be a donkey and her young colt. Untie them, unloose them, and bring them to me. And if anybody asks you, just say the Lord needed them. And they went and did, and all that unfolded exactly how he said it would. But then here we have it written, at the end of verse 14, it says, Just as it is written, just as it's been recorded, verse 15, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Five hundred years before this occurred, the prophet Zechariah, recorded how the Messiah would come into Jerusalem, into Zion. Zechariah 9, nine we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Why would Jesus come into Jerusalem Present himself as, yes, I am the king, and be riding a donkey. If he was coming to bring war, he'd be riding a horse that's readied for war. But the first point of why he comes is to fulfill all Scripture. That this is what's been prophesied about him, and that Jesus would fulfill all Scripture. But the second reason is as he comes, he's declaring himself as king, but he's also declaring... What type of king? A humbled king. A king of peace. If you remember with me, Jesus had fed 5,000 people. Remember that time of the miracle? Had all the leftovers. And right when he had finished that great miracle, do you remember what the people did? They wanted to come and make him king. It was in John chapter 6, verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. As I said before, why did he withdraw then? And why is he okay now? Because this is the week. It's the Passion Week. This is the week that he's heading to Jerusalem to offer himself as a sacrifice for many. It wasn't timing then. It wasn't God's timing before, but it is now. And this is the journey that he's on. It's his time. He will present himself shortly as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He'll be the perfect sacrifice. So he comes to Jerusalem not ready for war to defeat any enemy, but he comes on a donkey that represents peace and demonstrates his humility. And that's our Lord, King Jesus, how he presents himself. Look at me with verse 16. It says, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. They couldn't understand the full plan of God. They, too, were under the idea that Messiah has come, the Deliverer has come. And they didn't understand all these things that were unfolding. But once Jesus, after he had spoke to them over and over and over again, look, Jesus didn't hide the fact that he was going to die and rise again. He kept telling them and preparing them for this. But they didn't understand. But once he rose from the dead, and once he ascended back into heaven, John says, that's when the light bulb went on they remembered all the scriptures have recorded about him. Continue with me in verses 17 and 18. It says, The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. Church, do you know what that means? They were telling everybody. Everybody they came in contact with, you got to know that what Jesus has done. Lazarus was dead. And I mean Dead. He was in the tomb for four days and he was stinking. And Jesus came in town and said, Lazarus, come forward. And they told everybody. So the crowd was hearing this thing and more people would come. And we see in verse 18 the fruit of their witness in verse 18 says, The reason why all this crowd is there is because they've heard what Jesus has done. People have borne witness. And now the crowd is coming. And now there are people all around. To put it in perspective, because we talk about a crowd, what does a crowd look like? I mean, how big is a crowd? How do, you, how do you qualify that or quantify it? Going this week up to Jerusalem were hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. One historian estimated 2.7 million people. Now I've been there before. I couldn't imagine there being that many people. That is insane of how many people were going up for the Passover. But a conservative number is hundreds of thousands. But One historian wrote 2.7 million. So the Pharisees are seeing all these people coming out to Jesus and laying down palm branches and welcoming in as the king, and they feel kind of defeated. Look at verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Why are they so frustrated? Because they want to kill him. And they know that if we try anything, if we go right now to try to take him off that donkey and arrest him, what are the people going to do? There's going to be a revolt. And so they're frustrated. They're like, look what's happened. Well, maybe we've missed our time. Maybe we should have taken him earlier. Which, by the way, church, as we have said, they've tried many times. And each time, he has divinely been able to get away. But they've tried to take him. And now they're frustrated. They want him dead, but they don't want a revolt on their hands. So this week, as Jesus is going, we read in Mark chapter 14, just two days before the Passover. Look at the text with me, Mark chapter 14. It was two days before the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So they are contriving a plan. How do we somehow sneak in where nobody else sees it and arrest him? And you guys know the rest of the story, right? We have one who's close to Jesus, one of his own disciples, Judas, who goes and betrays him. Gives up his location, and they do come and get him by night, exactly what they desired. This morning, when we look at verses 12 through 19, the whole idea is Jesus presenting himself as king to the people. That this Jesus, King Jesus, is one who came as a humble king. He's one that came as a king to give peace, he's one that came to reconcile people to God. But church, that's not what they wanted. They wanted deliverance now from their oppression from Rome. And I want to stop before we go in and unpack three different points about King Jesus. I want to ask you, what are you looking for for, from King Jesus? don't shout it out, but I want you to answer that to yourself. Why are you here? What, What got you up to come this morning? What are you seeking Because some people are still seeking deliverance right now. Now look, as I started this morning, we have a peace that surpasses all understanding. That no matter what comes our way, no matter what trouble or trial, that Christ will give us a peace that surpasses understanding. And if you've experienced that, you know there's nothing like it. But when you look out, there are still things of destruction and chaos. And you go, where's the peace? That's not the peace that he came to give. It was peace between you and the Father. It was peace of putting his spirit within you. So I want to talk about King Jesus this morning. I want to point three, three different points about King Jesus. Because this whole passage John includes is this, to look at King Jesus. First thing, if you're taking notes, King Jesus rules over everything. King Jesus rules over everything. Should I say that again? King Jesus rules over everything. So then here's a trick question, just kidding, it's not, just follow along with me. Is there anything he doesn't rule over? Think about the last thing you prayed about. Think about the last thing you petitioned God for. Think about the last heartache and the last trial. Is there anything that he doesn't rule over? He rules over all things. He rules over everything. We read in Psalm 103, verse 19, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. That's everything. And here's the thing. I've heard people say you need to make Jesus king in your life. Church, I got something to tell you. You don't make him king. Jesus is king. Yes, follow me. See the difference. It's not like we put him up on the throne. You don't make him king. Jesus is king. He is the king. He has all authority over all things. Jesus said in Matthew 28 18, He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority? All. He rules over everything. Paul writes to the church of Ephesus in the opening chapter. Speaking of God, he says, God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head of all things to the church. He's the head of everything. And when we say head of all, guess what? Head of the church as well. Over all things. Peter writes as well, 1 Peter 3.22. Speaking of Jesus, he says he's gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. You know that word all? He's ruler over all. It means all, everything he is over. And lastly, we see in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to think about maybe it's from a movie, but there's a king and people come in the king's presence. What is their posture before the king? Bow, kneel, prostrate. There's a reverence before the king. At the name of Christ Everybody will bow before him. He's been given authority over all things. King Jesus has authority. He rules over everything. And as such, how do you think we're to respond? Think about an earthly king, how people respond. People respond to an earthly king with reverence. How about a heavenly king? How much reverence would go before a heavenly king? How much honor? And we're to submit our lives King Jesus, who reigns and rules over everything. Second thing this morning is King Jesus came to conquer sin and death. King Jesus came to conquer sin and death. Read with me from the Gospel of Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, Jesus began to tell them what was about to happen to him. Again, this is on his ascent into Jerusalem. He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Jesus, this is this week we're talking about from Palm Sunday through that week on the way to Jerusalem. He's telling them, "Look, this is what's going to happen." They're still clueless. Jesus is telling them they're still thinking, "No, we, we've got the king with us. We'll be okay." Remember, they freak out too when he gets arrested. They're like, "What? What just happened?" They. All the people totally wanted a physical deliverer. And Jesus came as a spiritual deliverer. Isaiah, written hundreds of years before Christ. Isaiah chapter 53, just a couple of verses from it. The whole chapter is great, Isaiah 53. But we read this, speaking of Christ, prophetically speaking, It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Is that not us? Have we not turned and done our own thing? Now, you might have been raised in the church. You might have grown up in the church. But you definitely could say at some point, you did what you thought you wanted to do and not what King Jesus was asking of you. Everybody has turned aside. Everybody has gone their own way. And it is Christ who came to bring peace. It's Christ who came to lay down his life. It is King Jesus who came into this world to seek and to save that which is lost. That's an amazing, One who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That is this humbled king who comes on this donkey to present himself as the savior of the world. Very famous to many of us. Some of us, our favorite verse, you'll see it at football games, on signs. John 3.16, oftentimes doesn't have verse 17 attached to it. John 3.16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Slow down with that. What's the requirement in there? To believe. To believe. There's nothing in there that says get right first, clean yourself up first, get rid of all the junk in your life first. It's belief, it's come to him. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus did not come on a horse ready for war to condemn and to judge. Jesus came to save the world. Absolutely. Jesus said of himself in John 10.10, he says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, not just in the here and now, but for eternity. It's like we get so nearsighted. It's just right here. But forever, Jesus has come. But you must believe. You must receive him. You can't wait. It's a response to Jesus. The one who has come to present himself, to give himself in your place. Jesus came to conquer sin and death. That when we get to the time where we face death, if you were to steer death in the face, guess what a natural reaction of your flesh would be? Fear. Absolutely. If you're steering death in the face, the natural reaction of your flesh is fear. But Jesus came to conquer sin and death. Jesus came that we might have hope, that this that I'm staring in the face right now, this isn't it. It's not over here. That there's something beyond this. And there's something glorious beyond this. And there's something that is eternal beyond this. That I don't have to stare at death and be fearful because my King Jesus conquered death. And he has promised just as he rose from the dead, he will rise me up as well. There is great hope in Christ Jesus. Third point this morning, though, is Jesus is coming again, folks. Did you know that? He's coming back. And point number three is King Jesus coming again to judge his enemies. He came the first time to seek and save that which was lost. He came the first time on a donkey, lowly and humble to bring peace. But when he comes the next time, he's coming on a horse, a white horse, ready for war to bring judgment to his enemies. And here's the crazy thing. You can go outside these walls, and you can ask anybody, maybe they're living a completely uh, uh, lawless life. And you ask them about Jesus, say, are you an enemy of Jesus? What do you think they're going to say? No way. I'm not an enemy of Jesus. I mean, Jesus loves everybody. I'm not an enemy. And they think it's okay in their lifestyle of rejecting Christ. Look, Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. There is no middle ground. You're either all in or you're all out. There's no middle ground. King Jesus is coming again to judge his enemies. Not on a donkey this time, but he's coming on a horse that's ready for war. He's bringing judgment. We read in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. It says, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Look, as King Jesus comes back, It's a completely different purpose than the first time. Right now, we're in the time frame of where Jesus has come. He's presented himself as the Savior of the world, that we're to repent and receive him, to believe. But when he comes back, that opportunity is behind us. When he comes back, it's to judge. Paul the Apostle addressed it this way. He's speaking to the men of Athens. And Paul the Apostle says this in Acts chapter 17. He says, "...the times of ignorance got overlooked." but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance all by raising him from the dead. Who's he speaking of? In this message he's given, he hasn't unveiled that yet, but that's who he's referring to is Christ. A day that is appointed. Now I'm looking out here and I'm seeing who I can call on who's got that day. Who knows the day? That Jesus is returning. Nobody, scripture says, knows that day except the Father. Nobody knows. So when you turn on your TV and they say a certain day that Jesus is coming back, turn off your TV. Okay? Just keep it off. Nobody knows. But what is it going to look like when Jesus comes back? We know he's on a horse ready for war. But what is he doing? He's bringing judgment. What does that judgment look like? What do you think King Jesus is going to look like when he comes back to judge his enemies? Those whom he has laid down his life for, those who he came and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, died as a demonstration of love and obedience to the Father, given his life, and they have rejected. Pushed him off. Walked in disobedience. We read some graphic things in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica to give them some comfort about all the persecution they're under. That there's going to come a day where those people who are persecuting them are going to be repaid. And when I say repaid, it's not good repayment for them, it's where God will judge them. And he's writing to comfort them, but look at the things he says 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Paul writes, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. So he's writing to people who are being persecuted right now. He's trying to encourage them. He says, "Since indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Stop there. There's a whole lot here, but I want you to walk through this. As a Christian, you will suffer at the hands of somebody who is unrighteous. After somebody who is worldly, godless, you will suffer. Paul is writing this to say, be comforted and know that King Jesus is coming, and he's going to bring perfect justice. And to those who are unjust towards you, he's bringing perfect justice. Verse 7, and he's going to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Look how he's coming, church. Verse 8. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer, look at verse 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed wait a minute put put all that together there's gonna come a day Could be today as far as biblically what's required could be any time he can come whatever and when he comes he's coming to bring judgment he's not coming again to get on a donkey again and to come humbly to bring peace He's already come to do that. He's come and he's offered himself as the Savior of the world. And now we're in that period where that offer is going out to all people, man, woman, and child, to come to Christ, to receive him, to believe in him. But there is coming a time when King Jesus is coming in fire, riding on a horse to bring judgment, that they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction church i want to ask you a question when jesus comes did the scriptures just open a door where there's a second chance where we can like question jesus say hey now that i see you can i believe in you now there isn't that open door there's not that open window it's now's the time to believe because there's going to come a time of judgment and it's too late when he comes he's bringing judgment King Jesus the one who has authority over all things. He came the first time to seek and save that which is lost. And the question is, is that you? Is that you? Is it you currently in that position that you're in the need of a Savior? Well, that's King Jesus. He came to present himself to you. Have you submitted your life to him as King Jesus? Have you repented and turned to King Jesus? to receive salvation that's only available through Christ? Think about this king who comes lowly, humbled, to give himself in your place so that you might be forgiven of sin, so that you could enjoy and glorify God forever. Guess what? When we are apart from him and we're in sin, we're not enjoying God, nor are we glorifying him. And our eternity is going to be wrapped up in eternal destruction, that it speaks of. Unless we're in Christ, it is the greatest hope. We read in Acts chapter 4, verse 12 there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John has recorded this gospel for this very message that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. This is the very point of this. To call you to come to Christ, to receive Christ, to submit to him as King Jesus. He says, come now. Come willingly, come freely. And for all of us this morning, all of us in this place, we need to realize King Jesus reigns. King Jesus reigns reigns. He reigns in power, in all authority. He is the King of kings, and He is the Lord of lords. He is the one whom we honor. He is the one whom we serve. He is the one that we worship. He is the one that we enjoy. He is the one that we glorify forever. King Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, what a Amazing short passage that we could look at this morning when Christ would head towards Jerusalem and present himself as King Jesus. And Father, we know from the passage and from the text that there are many who came to him with a wrong understanding, many who saw him coming as a physical deliverer, and yet he came as a spiritual deliverer. Father, that same King Jesus offers himself today. We pray, O God, by your Spirit, you would draw man and woman unto yourself today to receive Christ, to be forgiven of sin, to become a new creation in Christ. Father, for the rest of us, that we would see King Jesus reigning supremely that our response to Him would be to honor Him, to revere Him, to follow Him, to serve Him, to worship Him, to enjoy Him, to glorify Him. To You be the glory now and forever. In Jesus' name.